May the God of grace, mercy, and his peace fill our hearts as we hear his word that speaks to our hearts and to our daily lives. Amen. You may be seated. Dear friends in Christ, I heard the scream, and after the scream came another scream, Dad! It's that kind of a scream that a parent knows. It's one of my daughters, an older daughter now, but at the time 10 or 11 years old, and she was jumping on a trampoline with friends, and there was a collision, hence the scream. And then a daughter running toward me, holding like this. Ah! And I said, let me see. And she opened up her hand and one finger, I think the last one was sticking totally sideways. I'm not a doctor, but I deduced something was wrong. Let me see. No! No, don't touch it! Don't touch it! In the car, and to the doctor. And the doctor looked and said, let me see. No! And she screamed. The whole clinic heard this 10-year-old girl screaming, no! I need to see it. I need to see it. No! And the doctor did some examining around and no! The doctor turned to me and said, Father, you know what I need to do, don't you? I think it's dislocated. So I need to put it in place. You need to hold her down and I will grab it and I'll put it back in place. The girl heard this! So I had to hold down my daughter, and he grabbed the hand where it hurt. Ah! She's screaming, and And he popped it into place. And soon the screaming stopped, and she just looked. And it wiggled, and it was in place. It's kind of one of those amazing things, right, that what does a doctor need to do? A doctor needs to touch you where it hurts. Sometimes he needs to touch you where it hurts the most in order for what? In order for there to be healing. He can't heal you, he can't help you unless he can actually touch it. That's how he had to help that little girl. In our Bible account for today, we see in a similar way, Jesus, the great physician, is trying to help people be healthy. And in order for them to be healthy and live a healthy Christian life, he has to touch them where? Where it hurts. And it's not a spot on their body. It's something that they are thinking, something that has happened in their life. And so Jesus, one by one, is examining these people because he can see the heart. And he touches them. He grabs where it's hurting. And in a sense, he pulls but he pulls because he loves and he wants his followers to be healthy. Because he is the great physician. Our Bible account is the gospel that Mr. David Sills read, and it doesn't start out in a surprising way. It talks about they were walking down the road. Jesus and his disciples were walking down the road, and it's a common scene that we're familiar with. It also must have been a common scene. It doesn't surprise us that a man walks up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And that doesn't surprise us because Jesus had many disciples, not just the 12, but hundreds of people at different points were following Jesus, right? What surprises us is Jesus' answer. Jesus does not say to him, 
I gladly accept you. Yes, follow me. Jesus does not say that. How does Jesus respond to the man? The man says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus looks him straight in the eye and says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. I kind of picture that man standing there and going, what? Was that a yes or a no? And he's probably maybe looking at Peter. Help me out here, because he asked Jesus a question, and Jesus responds to the question with what? A statement about his living. The Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay And so the man, I can see, kind of standing there going, what do I do with that? What was Jesus' point? As Jesus was looking at this man, what was Jesus trying to teach the man? That following me is not going to be easy. Following me is what? A commitment. It's not just volunteering here or there. It's not just 24 hours. It's not just for a period of time. If you really want to follow me, it's going to be what? There's going to be a commitment, and there's going to be a cost, and there's going to be a sacrifice. Are you ready to make the sacrifice? And because Jesus is the great physician and he can see the heart, he knew what that man was maybe going to be struggling with in life. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, understand, I don't have the comforts of this life. I don't have a home. I don't have a regular place to live. You're not going to have all the comforts of life if you follow me. Are you ready for that? It doesn't tell us what the man said. As we look at each of these men that Jesus speaks to today, we have to ask ourselves, is this my sensitive area? In Bible class on Sunday morning, we're talking about our stewardship and living our lives for God, and we're talking about the challenge we have with understanding the difference between necessities and luxuries in life, because sometimes it's clear-cut, and sometimes it's what? All together. Is something a necessity or is something a luxury? Well, I'm going to give you a couple things, and you tell me, is it a necessity or luxury? Food. Can it also be a luxury? Yeah. Clothes. Now you know where I'm going. Necessity, but can it also be a luxury? Getting your hair done. Necessity, but is it, can it also be a luxury, right? Now, the Bible isn't saying, as we're talking about Bible class, that any of these things are wrong in and of themselves. And it's because the Bible in the book of Ecclesiastes talks about that we are also to enjoy life that God has given to us. But what point is God making with this man and maybe with us? One of the challenges we have is, are the nice things of life, the comforts of life, the wonderful things of life, do they get a higher priority in our life than what? than the things of God. Am I more concerned about, do I, do I work my schedule to fit God's schedule? Or does God's schedule have to work around all my other joys and comforts in life? What gets the first priority in my life? And so that man is just standing there. We don't know how the man responded. A second man is, approaches Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Lord, the, Jesus says to the man, follow me. And the man says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. The man's dad died. And you would expect that Jesus would answer in what way? Pardon? With compassion. This is the Lord who was outside the tomb of Lazarus and what? 
wept. He took the little children up in his arms and he held them. This is the the man who, who understands death, who understands compassion, who brought people back from the dead. And now this man says, I will follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says to this man what? Let the dead bury the dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Doesn't that seem what? Harsh. It seems hard because, now again, don't take any passage out of context. The Bible isn't saying that we can never go to a funeral. But Jesus is looking at the man's heart and he's understanding what? That he's really making an excuse to put off serving the Lord. Jesus sees the heart. And Jesus calls him out on it. I will follow you, Lord, as soon as I get done with this or that. Do you have any as soon as things happening in your life? How easy that is for us as Christians, isn't it? That I will do X, Y, or Z for the Lord or for somebody as soon as... Can you fill in the blank? As soon as I retire... As soon as I have a little bit more money, as soon as I get married, as soon as this, or as soon as summer comes, or as soon as this, or as soon as that, and, and we are, can be filled with as soon, as soon as, and some of our as soon as can sound very good. Let me go and bury my father. That sounds very good, and we can convince ourselves as soon as I do this, and Jesus calls him out. No, not as soon as. Your highest priority is serving me. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow you might die. Serve me now. Again, it doesn't say if the man followed Jesus or not. Still another man said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And what does Jesus say to him? I mean, there's even Bible precedent for this, right? Elisha in the Old Testament asked if he could say goodbye to his family. And, and Elijah said, yes, you can say goodbye to your family. And the man said, let me say goodbye to my family. And what was Jesus' answer to him? I will follow you as soon as I can say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in God's kingdom. What? Does that mean you can't have fun times with family? What did Jesus see? The great physician saw where it hurt, and he saw that this man was going to be, have a hard time because he was going to be distracted in life, torn between here and there. And Jesus said, I need, I need full commitment. I, I need you to love me first, even more than your family. Which doesn't mean that in following Jesus, we will have to leave our family, but Jesus said, I see that that's where your difficulty is. You're going to be torn. And he said, it's like a man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Have you ever actually plowed a field? Anybody here? Ah, there's a couple. I haven't done it myself, but I got to ride on a tractor with the man that was plowing when I was a young boy. That counts. And I was amazed because, you know, how those farmers do it. They have, the, you know, you look down the rows and there's what? Incredibly straight plowed fields. How do they do it? And I asked the guy, how do you do it? Because I'm just watching the plow itself. And he said, no, 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 you can't look back there. If you're going to plow a field, where do you need to look? You've got to look way to the end of the field, to the fence over there. And then you just mark a spot and you go there and you never look back. Because if you look back, well, how many of us have mowed grass? You know what happens when you mow grass? You mow the grass and if you're always looking to see where your wheels went, what happens? 
then it's all messy. You have to look to the end and you just follow the And what was Jesus saying? If you're going to walk as my disciple, you can't spend your time doing what? Looking back at what? Well, there's all different things we can look back at. Remember the story in the Old Testament of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his wife? And they were asked to leave Sodom and Gomorrah and they said, don't look back. And what did Lot's wife do? Because what was she missing? The lifestyle and sometimes as Christians, there's that part of us that wants to live for Jesus, but there's a part of us that what? You know, a little, a little bit of sin is okay, right? A little, a little drunk is okay, isn't it? A little swearing is okay? A little fun on Friday night that crosses the line? There's a part of us that kind of wants to have a little bit of both, right? There's a part of us that's easily distracted in life. Look and think of Peter. He wants to do a good thing. He's out there walking on water, and yet he loses concentration because of what? Because of the storms and the troubles, and we lose our focus. Jesus is saying, can you keep your eyes on me? Or think of Mary and Martha. Martha's doing a, a good thing, and she's serving the Lord, and Jesus calls her out, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things. Sometimes it's the busyness of life that has us distracted. Jesus is looking at each of these people, and he's looking at us, and he says, are you ready to serve me? And understand that in serving me, walking as a Christian is more than 40 days of Lent. And the whole sermon series that we've had of giving it up for Lent, and that question that comes up, and have you had friends ask you, what are you giving up for Lent? And we can give up things for Lent. That's okay, it's not wrong. But Jesus is asking us as Christians to do much more than do what? To give up something for 40 days. I mean, you and I, from our perspective, look at 40 days and go, whoa, that's a lot. From God's perspective, what is 40 days? I'm going to give up sweets for 40 days. Well, that can be a good thing, health-wise. But compare that to what Jesus is asking in the Christian walk. The season of Lent is a time to do that self-audit we talked about. To be able to examine ourselves and say, what's the area in my life that's sensitive? What's the area in my life that's disjointed? What is the area in my life that has, that, that's out of place, that needs to be set right? I need to let Jesus touch me there and speak to me there and correct me there. And that's hard. Because my Lord says to love me with all your heart, soul, and mind, to love your neighbor as yourself. My Lord says to me to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness today, not tomorrow, today. And I have to confess to you as a pastor, I don't do that. My Christian walk is okay, but it's not perfect. And Jesus is calling you and me out about the laziness in our Christian walk. And I struggle as I'm writing this text, as I'm I'm writing this sermon, because I'm thinking, how can it ever not be so? How can you and I ever walk in the Lord's footsteps? Because we always are going to be troubled with what? Sin. We're always going to be troubled with distractions. We're always going to have different things, issues that are happening around us. How can you and I ever walk the walk? Then I did what I should have done when I started my sermon study. Read the verses before and after the sermon. 
And in the verses before the sermon came the answer to your, to our walk. In the verses before the sermon, it says three or four verses before, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken into heaven, looking forward to his ascension already, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And in my Bible, I had the word resolutely underlined. So I thought, oh, that's got to be, so I'm looking at the Greek word for resolutely. And the word for resolutely in the Greek means to set your face. Isn't that an interesting word? That you set your face in a direction and you don't move your face. And you head in that direction no matter the pain or no matter the consequences. And so it says, Jesus set his face for Jerusalem. Why? What was in Jerusalem? His death. Why did Jesus want to go to die? Because he not only saw the cross, he saw you and me. Jesus said, I'm going to... And were there distractions along the road? In fact, the next verses right before our text talks about this strange little interaction that you and I don't really remember very often. That Jesus is walking with his disciples and they're going through Samaria because remember, between the Sea of Galilee and, and, and Jerusalem is this area called Samaria and the Jewish people and the Samaritans did not get along. Hence the story of the Good Samaritan and the woman at the well and all these things that happened in Samaria. And so Jesus sent some disciples ahead to, to get arrangements for the evening, to go into a village and to make preparations for the evening. And the disciples came back and said, that village does not want to welcome us. And James and John then pipe up and they say to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Understand in the Bible that James and John are called sons of thunder, and now we know why. But they're not saying that out of nowhere. They know their Bible, and they know that back in 2 Kings chapter 1, their guy Elijah is having an issue with King Ahaziah, and King Ahaziah is not treating Elijah, God's prophet, with respect. And so King Ahaziah is disrespecting God, sends 50 men to Elijah, fire is called down from heaven, and all 50 men are destroyed. King Ahaziah sends another 50 men to, A- to Elijah and says, Elijah, you've got to do what the king says. Another fire comes down from heaven. Another 50 men are destroyed. The king sends another group of 50 men to Elijah. 2 Kings chapter 1. Now this third group has a commander, and the third commander gets before Elijah and says what? We're sorry. We're sorry. We disrespected you. So James, so James and John, they're, they're saying, should we bring down fire on the Samaritan village? And what was Jesus' answer? What was Jesus' answer? Do you remember? Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. What's the point? Jesus rebuked them, They went to another village because what did Jesus have in mind? He had his face set for what? Jerusalem. Nothing is going to distract me. Where is your face set? Where is your face set? Now the reality is we have all kinds of things happening in our lives, don't we? 
We have regular life things. We have things that are happening down the road, things. We have all kinds of things that we are pondering and thinking about, big events, little events. We have school, future. We have all kinds of things that we're thinking about. But the Bible says, where is your face set? Isn't that an interesting question? Is it just here? Is it just here? Is it just this week? Is it this week? What's the point at the end of the field that Jesus wants you to look toward? Samantha? Heaven. Have your face set to heaven and let nothing distract you from that path. That's where I'm going. But the reality is I'm going to heaven, but I do have all these things that are around me in life. How do I do daily living when I'm looking for heaven? I love the passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that reminds us how do we live each day. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his plea through us. That you and I live every day with all the things that are happening in our life and all our busyness and all our distractions, that God has appointed you to be an ambassador. And if you are an ambassador called to be an ambassador of your country, and if you're called to be an ambassador for Canada, back to many of us that come from another country, and you're asked to represent Canada back in your home country, is that an honor? I'm asking you a question. Is that an honor? Yes. And if you go back and you're an ambassador in, in a home country, how many hours a week are you supposed to be an ambassador? Just 40, right? And then when the weekend comes, no, you are an ambassador when? 24-7, because you represent the country. Is that an honor? Is that a responsibility? Is it a joy? And now God has said to you and me what? I have appointed you to be my ambassador. 40 hours a week? Two hours on Sunday? 24-7. You live for me. You represent me to whom? To all the people that are around you. Today, tomorrow, at work, at school. You are my ambassador. There's a beautiful passage that we'll end with from the book of Hebrews that talks about the road in front of us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross Scorning its shame. Ah, set your eyes on what? On Jesus, who had his eyes set on you. Dad! I can't wait till my daughter listens to this sermon on podcast. She'll say, stop it. But the doctor had to touch her where? where it hurt, in order for her to have healing. And our loving Lord talks to us this morning, and perhaps he's touched us in an area where it hurts. But why does he do that? Because he wants us to be healed, and he wants us to be healthy, and he wants us to follow. Jesus lead.
I follow you. Amen. Amen.